Um, as Thomas said, um, Carlson is at a family reunion, and Tyler's on sabbatical, so um, I'm going to preach without my shoes on, and I'm going to sit on a couch and just see how it goes. So I know, just really, you know, going to do what we want and see how it is. We'll have, so I'm having tea. If you would like to have some tea, you might have to pretend at this point because it might be too late. Um, okay, so we're in the middle of a series called About One Another. So what we're doing is we're looking at all of these verses that talk about one another in Scripture. And so when we first started this series, Carlson printed out every verse in the New Testament that had one another in it. So we're, you know, we read through them, and, and there's obviously some strong repetitions in there, like love one another, for example. Um, there's another one that happened a lot, which is greet one another with a holy kiss. And I just think before we talk about what we're really going to talk about, we're going to talk about it. Because it happens five times. It says, greet one another with a holy kiss. Now, I do not think that this means that we should go around kissing each other without permission, lest we all go to jail. But I, I do think that it means that we should maybe think about how we greet one another. That what does it mean to greet one another in a holy way? Um, because in New Testament times, like, you know, they would do the, I think of it as French, I don't know if that's true, where you like, you know, when you kiss someone's cheek or you kind of do the floating kiss next to their face, like that would have been more normal in New Testament times. And it, it you know, it communicated, you are important to me, you are precious to me. It also communicated equality, that I'm not any better than you, that we are the same. Um, so it was a very common greeting then. So what's interesting about the fact that this gets written in the New Testament five times is that he says, greet one another with a holy kiss. So you take this very common greeting and you invite God into it. And you say that this matters. And in this moment that I am greeting you in a way that I'm inviting God into my greeting of you. And how God feels about you matters. And I want to communicate that to you and how I greet you. So um, when, like, when we're talking about in this community that we are committed to community and connection and being with one another, could we just say that maybe that means more than just like we, had, we just had coffee? Is that really fellowship? Or is fellowship something more intentional than that? And is it more than just going like, hey, how are you? Well, I'm fine. Like, are we really walking with one another? And when we greet each other, do we greet each other with like God's heart in mind? That you go, this is how I, like this is God's heart and how he feels about you. I just read this book and this lady said she would call her mentor. And every time she called her mentor, her mentor would say, oh, dearest, I'm so glad it's you. And she said every time for like 20 years, every time the lady picked up the phone, she said, oh, dearest, I'm so glad it's you. And I wonder if, was the mentor trying to say, this is how God feels about you? Like when we pray, when we pick up that phone in prayer, is that what God is saying to us? It's like, oh, dearest, I'm so glad it's you, right? Like, have, have you ever been greeted by John Abel's in the lobby? Okay, it might just be me. I think I might be John Abel's favorite. I'll just go ahead and say it. But this man in the Hawaiian shirt, as he always is in a Hawaiian shirt, when he sees me, he greets me with this like, hi, like, how are you? And he usually has something funny to say to me. He always cheers me up. He looks in my eyes and makes me feel like I matter to him. There is something holy about that. And if I only just sat around and thought, does God, 
I'm going to cry. Does God feel about me the way that John Abel feels about me? Is he that happy to see me? Like one time I was gone for a couple weeks, he like ran across the lot. He was like trotting over like, hey, I was like, wow. So I don't know if he feels that way about all of you, but, <laughs> but me, I think he's pretty in. But I'm like, like there's something like, there's something holy about that. And if I could go, maybe it's not. Maybe John carries a little bit of God's heart for me. Could God have sent John into my life or into the body of this church to remind us how he feels about us when we show up. But there's something holy about that. Or Marnie Harris, when you see me, she sometimes kisses my head. And I'm like, oh, like, it just, like, apparently I'm precious to you and you care for me. There's something holy about that. So I just want to say, if the New Testament's going to say this a bunch of times, maybe we should pay a little bit of attention to how we greet one another. And are we intentional in that in a way that says, you are holy to God, and therefore I'm going to communicate with you in a way that communicates that holiness? Um, another thing is, so I have had the privilege recently of learning from this guy named Michael Hendricks, and he is I don't know if he would call himself this. I'm going to call him a neurotheologian in that he studies God and discipleship, but through the lens of the brain and like what happens in our brain as we are discipled. Fascinating. Maybe later I'll teach you everything he taught me, if you want to know. Anyways, he, he, he introduced me to this new idea of joy, this new definition of joy. What joy is neurologically it is the feeling that happens inside of you when you see someone else who's happy to see you. When you look in someone else's eyes and it's that the twinkle in their eyes, you're like, oh, they're glad to see me. And it's, it's that feeling you get inside of you when you sense that someone else is glad to be with you or glad to see you or glad that you showed up. That is a feeling of joy, which is also why you can be, I mean, if you watch the movie Inside Out, you know, but like if there's, you can have sadness and then you can have joy in the midst of it. And we know that joy is not happiness, but it's that I'm glad to be with you in this moment. And so like, and what's interesting is, is that it's, it's, a, it's always relational. Joy is always relational and it happens eyeball to eyeball and face to face. That is how joy relationally is passed from person to person. And so, and interestingly, it doesn't work through a computer screen. Surprise! So when you're like looking at, at FaceTime, like every person is constantly always scanning for joy. Is there anybody in this room that's happy to see me? Is anybody glad that I'm here? I can tell you like all through pandemic when we were preaching into like, um, you know, what's it called? A camera. When we do that and like there's just not any humans there, it is so hard because you can't connect with anybody's eyeballs. And, you're, and there's something about that that is, it's actually divine and that we were made to be in connection with each other and we were made to be able to communicate joy to each other through our faces, through our eyeballs. And that's really important. And so you can't do it through a screen. So like, this is why you can get exhaustion on Zoom for lots of reasons, but this reason is, is because you're, you're, you're looking at all these faces and your, your brain scans for joy. Is there anybody here that's happy to see me? And it neurologically won't click. You'll spend like an hour or whatever on this stupid call looking for someone who's happy to see you and it won't click into your soul the way that it will if you're sitting in front of a human. And so 
it, it changes things, right? And it's why it's so important when, like, my kids, when, I, when they're in the, mor- in the morning, when I see them and they're on their phone, and I'm like, good morning, and I'm like, hey, good morning, mom. I'm sure your kids don't do this. But they're like, <laughs> morning, mom. And I'm like, look at me. Good morning. I'm glad to see you. Like, you, they have, you have to have eye contact. It makes the relational part of your brain turn on, and it actually changes the trajectory of the way that you are able to relate to other humans. So if you don't do that, you stay in something called enemy mode, You'll have to listen to a podcast that I'm going to someday do for you in order to know what enemy mode is. But suffice it to say, not good. Okay. Um, So is the way that we greet each other communicating how God feels about us? And are we communicating joy to each other? Are we going, I am glad to be with you in this moment? I want you to think about, you know that verse, it's number six. I'm going to read it to you, 24. So the Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. When I read this verse in the context of what Michael had taught me, it blew my mind. Do you realize that God is saying, God turns his face towards you. He makes his face shine upon you. That is really weird, actually, to talk about until you realize, like, oh, actually, there's something different. So when I'm like, I'm scanning the world for joy, if I don't know God, I'm going, is there anybody who's happy to see me? But the fact that I know God and I can turn my face to him, and as soon as I do, he's already turned his face to me and gone, oh, I'm so happy to see you, my dearest. And I can feel the joy of what it is to be in communion with God, that what I most long for, I can find in God himself all the time. So when I think of like, when I, when I work with kids and I'm trying to share Jesus with them, I'm going, what you are looking for, God is. You are looking for someone who, is, who you can connect with, who is happy to see you and who is happy to be with you no matter what. So joy is the twinkle in my eye that communicates that I am happy to see you. Like, that comes actually from our God. So when you run into a John Abel's and he makes you feel so loved, he is reflecting God's very love to you. Could we greet one another in a way that is holy? Could we say, I will channel God's love for you and the way that he feels about you? So, and it, one, how easy is that for people in this room? I mean, there's a lot of people in, the, in life that I go, it's really easy for me to love you because I just do. What do I do with people when that's hard for me to love them? And I'm like, oh, then I, okay, what does God feel about them? And can I, chan- can I channel that to them? Do I know my God well enough that I could do that? Um, okay. We are going to go to Colossians 3.12. And this says this. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. Bear with one another and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you. Okay, in the next slide too, it says, and over all these virtues, put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Um, I think it's interesting. Well, a couple things. One, it says, therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Like, do we walk around as people who go, we are holy and dearly loved? 
Do we know what it means to be God's children? God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved. Are we tapped into what it is like for the Father to turn his face towards us, that we might receive his joy and his presence with us? And then it says, clothe yourself with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience. And then it says, put on love. So it's like, you're putting, it's like, could you think of it as putting on clothing? Like, is it true that in the spirit, there's the things that are unseen that are, that are invisible, but true? Is this one of those things? Could I actually clothe myself in the spirit with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Bear with one another. What does it mean to bear with one another? In, I just want to say for a second, like when we think about the world we live in, and particularly the political climate that we are living in, are we doing a good job putting on compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience? Do we feel like a culture that is clothed with these things? And are we putting on love? Is that is what is covering us as the children of God? I hope so. That has not really been my experience of late. I just wonder when I like think about like the world in general. I go, we are, we are not doing a great job of this. So what does it look like to bear with one another when you disagree with each other? When you go, I don't actually think you think right about this or this, or all of the things we could argue about all day long. So, like, I know that in this room, there's so many different opinions about all the sorts of things. I go, are we going to bear with one another? And I don't think that that means tolerate one another, like, fine, fine. But, like, what does it mean to, like, if I were to say, hey, bear with me, does that just mean just tolerate me, just put up with me? Or does it mean, could you kind of, like, actually come and bear this with me? Could you, like, put the yoke on your shoulder with me, and maybe we could actually do this together? Could we do something together? Can we be curious with each other and go, I'm going to be in this journey with you. My job here is to, how do I show up clothed with compassion and kindness and humility and gentleness and patience? It's like what Matt talked about last week. Like, what does it look like for us to show up in the world that way? I don't think that that's something that the world is very good at right now. And then it says, forgive whatever grievances you have against one another. Like, are we forgiving the grievances? I actually think we are living in a culture of grievances where you're like, do you have a, who, who do you have a list of grievances against? It might be another political party. It might be some people who are in charge or who have been in charge or will soon be in charge. Like, you're just like, I, I have some grievances. I have some grievances with this law or with this lack of law. Or We are living in a culture of grievances. Or could we be a people who go, we are going to forgive what grievances we have against one another? What happens when we harbor unforgiveness with people? I think we think we're hurting them by being mad and unforgiving. But we know that it's actually hurting us, right? It's actually rotting what's inside of us. Um, let's do a little flash to uh, 1 Corinthians 13. No, this is the love chapter. I'm just going to read it real quick, this little chunk. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. Hmm. 
It is not rude. Huh. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Okay, like, just like even that, like it keeps no record of wrongs. There's some people that I'm really cranky at right now that I have a record of wrongs. Not my husband. I don't think I have, currently I don't think I have a list. Sometimes I do, but I don't think right now. Um, but like, like I read an article the other day. It was literally it was a list of, here, here it was on some political figure, and it was here is the list of wrongs of the things that he's done that's ruined our country. And I was like, oh, we're just, we're just literally keeping a record of wrongs and then writing them down and putting them in print and putting them on the internet. So could we not be people who do that? I'm not going to keep a list of grievances. Would you be curious about people who, are, who think differently than you and who hold things differently than you? Um, I read this book recently by a lady named Anne Lamont called Almost Everything. And um, I, I, don't, I don't agree with everything she says, but I don't think I read any books where I agree with everything they say. So, but she had this brilliant chapter on hate and the title of the chapter was, Do Not Let Them Get You to Hate Them. Hate, because hate does something to you. So when you look at the world, you might be like, oh, oh, ah, and we have a list of grievances and we're really angry. And he, she says, don't let it happen. Don't let hate be birthed inside of you. I'm just going to read you a couple things she says because it's so good. So hate is the worst emotion of all. Hate is like the flu of the soul. Has there ever been more hate loosed upon the world than there is right now? And she goes, maybe there has been, but I think we had less social media to spread it everywhere and probably less nuclear capability. So um, MLK said, hate does not drive out hate. Only love can do that. What if the people that you can't stand are like a nautilus for your character? What if the most difficult and annoying people in your life are actually there as grace builders? What if the people that you can't stand are actually nautilus for your character? Like, okay, here we go. I am learning to build some grace. If we work hard and we are lucky, we may come to see everyone as precious, struggling souls. And God is better at this than we are but maybe we could do it. What does it look like instead of to hate someone, to be curious about them? And then she says, what if in all of my excitement of hatred, I have sort of forgotten to pray? Could we pray, make me a channel of thy peace and where there is hatred, let me sow love. And no one can take this hatred off of me. I have to surrender it every time I become aware of it. When we... And I think that as Christians, we go like, I don't want to, I don't hate anybody. One, maybe I need to be honest about that. Two, could I go, am I sowing love? Or am I fertilizing hatred? Am I airing my list of grievances with the world? Or am I walking around with compassion and kindness and humility and going, I'm being to be curious. Like one time, there was this, it was a, you know, it was a social media frenzy and there was a lot of hatred flying around and there was this one girl in particular who was really vehemently 
opposed to some, well, to something that I am pro, but she knows that I'm pro. And we were going to meet for coffee, and I was like, oh, this is going to be terrible. She's just going to yell at me. It's going to be horrible. Well, you know what happened? I sat with her, and we looked at each other's eyeballs, and we both were like, I love you, and I want to understand you, and tell me what you can see that I can't see because I have such a limited perspective. And it's good when we can look at each other and see in each other's eyes. It's the joy that goes like, I don't agree with you. I also like, I love you and I see you. Sometimes I think we, we caricature the other side of an argument into something that is like larger than life. And we forget that those people are humans. It's the it's like how social media and is like, destroying our world is because we're not doing the eyeball to eyeball face to face. We're behind a screen and we are not relationally connecting with people. And it's causing all of this, this gunk to fly around. When you post something, you actually hurt humans sometimes. Or are we people who so love? What are we throwing out there? And what is it doing to the world? Um, and who are you praying for? Like, actually, a couple weeks ago, we, I don't even, I don't know. I got up here at the end of a service, and I said, um, the idea of when Jesus says, what you have done to the least of these, you've done to me. And so is it possible that we only love God as much as the person we love the least? Is that possible? And do I, do I pray for people? Like, I have a really hard time praying for Putin. I really do. He really makes me upset. And I do have a list of grievances, and I will just say that to all of you. I just am like, like I've been literally, like while I've been prepping for this sermon, I'm like, okay, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to pray for Putin. And I'm like, oh, Lord, give me words. Like, Holy Spirit intercedes for me. But I'm like, because it is the kindness of God that will lead him to repentance. If nobody prays for that man, how in the world is this tide going to turn? We have to pray. So whatever, whoever it is, which might be like your mother-in-law, or it might be Putin, or whoever it is that you have a list of grievances against, whoever you recite your list of grievances every time you brush your teeth, whoever that is, we got to pray for them. And I have to go, I got to clothe myself with compassion and kindness and humility and put on love in order to approach them in a way that God himself would approach them. Like, if I ran into Putin on the street, what would happen? What would I do? What would Jesus do if he ran into him on the street? How are we showing up? Um, Galatians 5.14 says, oh, I'm just going to read it off there, okay says this, love your neighbor as yourself. If you keep on biting and devouring one another, watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. Is that true or isn't it? If in this country we continue to bite and devour one another, will we be destroyed by one another? When Jesus says a house divided against itself cannot stand, is that true? What is happening in our country? And who are we going to be in the midst of that? If we are going to say that children of God respond differently, are we responding differently? 
Are you responding differently? Am I responding differently? Watch out or you will be destroyed by one another. Um, a couple years ago, two, two years ago, um, over Memorial Day weekend, George Floyd died. If you remember right, this was May of 2020. I don't know if you remember what happened in March of 2020, but the world shut down and we all sat in our living rooms for a while, right? And then George Floyd died. And we, our family was in Texas at the time at a lake. And we had heard about what happened. We're like, oh, oh my goodness. And, you know, social media and all this stuff is happening. And um, I went to bed that night. And I woke up the next morning. And I was slotted to preach in two weeks, which, I, which just felt like, oh, feels like a big deal all of a sudden. So I fell asleep that night. And I woke up the next morning. And it was like God had dropped something. And I was like, I literally rolled over and I was like, I need a pen now. Like, I need a pen and paper now. And I like, I rummaged through this drawer of this people whose house we were staying at. And I found paper and I just started to write. I went and sat by the lake and I, and I wrote for two hours just to get out what the Lord had dropped into me. And then he said, I want you to preach that. And I was like, well, upside is my sermon is written. Downside was I was like, that's kind of intense. And it was maybe if you're not a preacher, maybe this doesn't make any sense to you, but sometimes when you speak or teach or whatever, it's like you feel like God gives you something, and the best way I know how to describe it is it feels like I'm pregnant. I'm like carrying this thing, and then eventually I like grows, and it like nurtures inside of me, and then eventually somehow I birth it and get it out of me into the world, and sometimes that is a really pleasant process, like some pregnancies, and sometimes it's like torture, like others, and I, this felt like a fire baby. I was like, oh, and it was just, I mean, if it's like what it feels like for the baby to kick your spleen, like that's what was happening inside of me with this sermon. And I was like, just, it was so heavy. And Carlson, bless his heart, was on sabbatical. And so I was like, I need some like help. And so the elders at the time got on a nice Zoom call with me. And I was like, this is what I feel like the Lord is asking me to say. And I, I'm asking for your blessing to say this. And they were like, yes, and we're with you. And um, Kevin Petty, is he here? Well, I'm going to talk about him. Oh, there he is. Hi. Um, it's so nice to see you. Um, so Kevin is on the phone with me, and he's like, I can feel the heaviness on you. He goes, is this heaviness because God has asked you to say something that feels heavy? Or is this because you are a white woman who is being asked to speak something into this cultural moment? And I was like, for sure both. And I feel so afraid as a white woman to say anything right now. Like I had just posted the black square onto my Instagram, if you know, if you remember that situation. And I was like, I want to listen and learn and I, and I don't feel like I should say anything. And he said to me, he says, Michelle, if the people who God is dropping things into don't speak right now, we are never gonna make it through this. You need to deliver what God has given you to deliver and I am with you, and I am behind you, and I will be there on Sunday morning. So Sunday morning came, and we just started parking lot services. Do you remember those? So it was like the second time we ever did it. It was a tornado that day. It was like blowing. This was so early on. We didn't even let you out of your cars. You had to sit in your vehicle and listen through the radio. 
So I like literally was preaching to headlights. It was the weirdest situation. Talk about lack of eyeballs. And then I asked you guys if you like wanted to say amen or something that you'd honk or like throw my hand out the window. It was the weirdest situation. Anyway, that morning I was like, feeling the fire baby so like just was just like what and then it's like a tornado it's so windy my notes are blowing everywhere and Paul had to come up in the middle and give me a hair tie because my hair had turned it was just I like couldn't read I mean my bible pages kept flipping anyway it was horrible anyway but before I went on stage Kevin and his daughter came and prayed for me and they looked in my face and they said we are with you and we want you to do this And it was like them being with me that made me feel like I could go and say what I needed to say. And this is what I preached. This is what God said two years ago, that he wanted us as believers to know that if we don't figure out how to love each other and listen to each other and actually be neighbors, that we will be destroyed by one another. So I just, Bobby just pulled it out of the archives and it's it's actually on our church podcast right now. I would ask you to listen to it because it is such an interesting time capsule of that time and the time that we are in and like what has happened in our country since then. And as like horrible as that moment felt and how divisive and angry our country felt, I don't know that we've done a very good job from this moment to that one. Like when we look at what has happened, I go, are we loving each other? It's one thing, I go, what are we doing here in this building and in Boulder County? What are we doing in the world, in America? Like, are we living in a way that looks like our Father? Are we living in a way of love? I mean, think of what has happened in our country in the last two years. And I don't know what else to tell you except that the, like, two years ago, how that felt in my heart of what God was calling us to. And when I just recently re-listened to it, I was like, did we miss it? Or are we doing it? Or what do you want us to do now? Like, we need to seek the face of God and go, what do you want us to do now? Because the cultural moment keeps turning up speed and keeps changing and keeps morphing. And we have to be people who go, God, what do you want us to do? What do you want us to do now? And what does it look like for us to move towards our neighbors, to, to love our enemies, to pray for those who persecute us? What does it look like? How, how did Jesus do that while hanging on the cross? And are we any good at it? And like what God called us to two years ago, are we, are we doing it and are we living in it? Are we still stuck in some muck? What do we need to repent of? How do we go about clothing ourselves in kindness and compassion and humility and gentleness and love? And when the world looks at the face of believers in Jesus, do they see joy? Do they see that we are glad to be with them, even if we disagree, even if we, all of the things? Who are we in the world? And are we reflecting the face of God to the world? So, if you would, I would encourage you to 
to listen to that podcast. I would love to hear your thoughts as you kind of look back, not just at the, at the sermon that I gave, but at the like, and there's a place on, our, on the website where you can, you can comment and we can have some conversation. I think it's good for us to talk about like where we have been as a nation the last two years, where we have been as a, as a capital C church the last two years, and how are we showing up? And are we showing up the way that God would call us to show up? So like when we're in a series like one another, what are we showing up in a way that how we treat one another really, really matters? How we show up in the world really, really matters. So could we be people who look in the face of God that he would reflect his with us, withness toward us, and that we could be in that moment, and then that we could shine that to the world? Is that possible? And so I just invite you to that. Hey, um, worship team, if you want to come, you could come. Um, just in, to wrap up, Romans 12, 18 says, as far as it concerns you, be at peace with all men. As far as it concerns you, be at peace with everybody. If you read that, that's actually a command. It's not like a suggestion. You are to be at peace with all men and women. You are to be at peace with one another. Are you? And in this day and age, it includes the people who, are, who you've never met face-to-face, like political figures. But because we have the list of grievances, we have all the thoughts, we have all the feelings, and we have to go, God, I got to give this to you. And then we got to go, God, what do you want? How do you want me to, to live in this world? Most of it is that he wants us to live as a reflection of him and his love in this place. So let's pray. Um, maybe turn up your hands if you're willing to. Lord, would you clothe us today? Would you put your love on us? Would you put your compassion and your kindness and your humility and your gentleness on us? Would you teach us how to intersect with the world that we live in? Would you convict us of the places where we bite and devour one another? and are destroying one another? Would you convict us of the places we forget to pray? Would you help us to put down our record of wrongs and leave them at the foot of your cross? Or would you help us not to decide who gets to come to your table and who doesn't? Would you help us to leave the decisions that belong to you with you? And would you give us wisdom to know how to live in these times, both in this building and in Boulder County and in America and in the world we live in? God, we need your help. We cannot do this without you. We are to need divine revelation to show us how to do this. So Lord, help. Lead us forward and show us how. And may we be people who know how to let your face shine upon us. 
that you would be with us and that we would experience you with us. And the way that you greet us would be the way that we would greet the world. Help and have mercy. Lead us forward in Jesus' name. Amen.